Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello and welcome to the Tracy Sandler Show. I am your host, Tracy Sandler. I am very excited today to be joined by ESPN's Field Yates, also Matt Mayoko's nephew. That part's kind of a joke, but nonetheless, welcome to the show, Field. Thank you so much for having me, Tracy. That's one of those like inside baseball jokes that if anybody gets it who's listening to this podcast right now, kudos to you. Uh, if not, go check out Matt's podcast, which the combine was late February slash the beginning of March. So my appearance was right around then. We go to we go through the entire origins of it. I'm not sure if it's that funny of a story, but Matt and I think it's like one of the funniest stories of all time. If you don't agree with us or if you think that's a reflection of our character, I kind of understand it. Fair. And I think it's really funny too, but I am one of Matt Mayoko's biggest fans on his jokes. So like if we're in the workroom and he makes a joke, there's a high likelihood I think it's hilarious and maybe not everybody else does, but I'm laughing uncontrollably. So that could also be a part of my character too. So please, we welcome feedback. That being said, we also would prefer to be nice feedback. So if you don't like the joke, please don't tell us. Yeah, I was going to say, like, we welcome feedback as long as it's like the equivalent of a five-star review. If you don't have anything that is, uh, if you have something that's not a five-star review, feel free to pass that along to exactly nobody. Exactly. Well, I'm really glad we got these housekeeping things out of the way. And I think Matt Mayoka will be really honored that the first 90 seconds of this podcast were pretty much dedicated to him. So... I'll tell him. He's going to be really excited about that. Every podcast should start with Matt Mayoko slander. I mean, not slander. The opposite of slander. Because, of course, we're not slandering Matt Mayoko. <laughs> this is taking a turn, and I love it. This is amazing. Um, but unless we are going to make this the Matt Mayoko hour, which I'm not entirely opposed to, to be honest, I think we're going to talk a little bit NFL draft. See, if this was live, our, our listeners could call in and be like, no, no, keep talking about Matt Mayoko. But unfortunately for you guys, it's not. So we get to decide what to do. And we are moving to the NFL draft. The draft, of course, as you know, Field, there are like mock drafts forever. It's a constant thing. I actually said to John Lynch the other day, I said, is this, this might be a weird question, but is it kind of like a wedding? Like once it's over, is there a letdown? <laughs> like, well, wait, now what? Uh, you know? Did you it's feel that way? It's such a good comparison. Yeah. No, I said Christmas when I talked to somebody recently for those who celebrate, right? It's like you build up and when you're younger, especially when you're a kid, you know, you have these months of, of formulating a list and then you get to Christmas and you get to enjoy the list. Uh, you get to enjoy the gifts, obviously, but there is a very different energy on December 26th than there is on the morning of December 25th. And same thing with the draft. Like, I think I'm starting to feel it now. Like Sunday, I guess we're sort of still buzzing and Monday, I did a draft recap grade show with Mel Kuyper, Todd McShay, Matt Miller, and Jordan Reed. So I sort of still felt it. Now mm -hmm. it's kind of coming down a little bit. Like I'm starting to think about OTAs and eventually the NFL's equivalent of a summer break. So mm -hmm. the draft is in the rear view, and I've already started to read 2023 mock drafts. So we are oh moving forward already. Our partners at Bet Online continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. Find all of the latest sports developments, including updated odds on the NBA playoffs, fights, and even next season's futures. And don't forget that Major League Baseball is back as well. Who are you picking to win the World Series? Bet Online is your continued source for all your sports wagering needs, including live betting and your favorite Vegas casino and poker games. It's super easy to get started, so head to the website today or use your mobile device to join and use our promo code BELIEVE. 
That's B-L-E-A-V to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. You started to read 2023 mock drafts. Field, I think that you need to see someone about that. I've been told that by other people as well. You're probably not wrong. And I say that with caring because that just feels like, I mean, we haven't even made it to rookie minicamp for this year. Yeah. Well, I, I the all the always way too early mock drafts are fun for me. And they're also fun to reference in hindsight. And this year's draft is very different than what I think next year's draft will look like. So uh, there's an interesting contrast that I think will make for some good rhetoric. But let's save that rhetoric and that chatter for about nine months from right now. Okay, except that I want to do one thing that is so unfair and you're going to hate it. So hopefully you don't just hang up and leave. But on we're recording this May 3rd, 2022. Who do you think the first pick of the 2023 draft is going to be? No, it's a, that actually is a fair <laughs> question. So because I think the interesting part this year is that in the AFC, there is one team that I think, and, and I respect the way that they're going about their business right now. And I truly believe that Houston is taking the right steps in the direction of a franchise that's going to eventually build a long-term winner. But every other team in that conference is further along than Houston. And I'm not sure if Houston would admit that publicly, but like Nick Casario, I've I've become sort of like the card-carrying member of like the Nick Casario is doing smart things club. But they're also like a very young team who just got draft capital for the first time. They They made one pick in the first round over the past five years before this year, and they made two, obviously. So it's going to take some time. Things are not built overnight in the NFL in many cases. So Houston on the AFC profiles as a team that will be frisky and competitive like they were last year when they were certainly much less talented. But I think they're going to be a couple of years away from being a force in that AFC South. And then the NFC is where I think there are more possibilities because like a team like Seattle, I have no idea what they're going to look like on the Mm -hmm. other side of Russell Wilson. I don't know what Carolina is going to look like given their quarterback uncertainty as well. Marcus Mariota taking over for Atlanta or taking over for Matt Ryan in Atlanta. That's a team that I have tempered expectations for. I'll go with, with, with Houston though, for right now. Um, not because I think this is a team that's bound for like a one in 16 season. Mm-hmm. I don't know that we're headed towards that type of number one overall pick. And to be clear, and I'm going to say this a million times, like I appreciate and respect the way they're going about their business. I just think the conference is so, so loaded right now that it's going to be hard to find any easy win for any AFC team this year. So Houston, Carolina, Atlanta, Seattle, the four teams that kind of have earmarked as it could be a long year ahead. Well, for the 49ers fans listening, and there are a lot of them because I do cover the 49ers, they would love the idea of the Seattle Seahawks having the first pick in the draft next year because that means they had a terrible season. However, as the 49ers reporter, why do I feel like the two games that Seattle will win this year will be against San Francisco? But that's how it goes. That's how it goes, right? So they'll be 2-14 and and they'll have beat – the 49ers twice. And then the 49ers will have lost to Russell Wilson, the Broncos and 49ers fans will just be upset. But yep. you know what? I don't want to bring everyone down so early. It is only May uh, season hasn't even started yet. And let's talk a little 49ers draft. Uh, there were, I would say maybe mixed reviews from the fans. I am of the opinion that they actually had a pretty good draft because the team is in pretty good shape to begin with. And I think it's been a long time since San Francisco has had a team going into the offseason quite like this, maybe even after the 2020 Super Bowl or after the 2019 season. But 
they're in a pretty good shape as it is. The team is relatively set. So I feel like there was a little bit of a luxury of this draft to take those nine picks and build some depth, then potentially build for the future. But there wasn't anything they had to do. That being said, they didn't draft a center. They didn't draft a safety. They did not make any trades, which is the first time in the John Lynch, Kyle Shanahan era that that's happened in the draft. So overall, before we kind of get into the nitty gritty, what are your thoughts on this 49ers draft? Yeah, so I almost feel like there's at least two conversations, maybe three conversations surrounding the 49ers draft. So, and I don't want to be disrespectful of the scouts because I want to get into the actual players that they drafted in just a little bit because even when you don't pick until 61 overall, it's not like scouts get to just take off you know, the, the player, they, they can't just not evaluate the guys that we expect to go or could go in the first round. They still have mm-hmm. to evaluate and grade from Trayvon Walker and Aiden Hutchison all the way to Drake Jackson, their first pick at 61 overall. But I'm going to table that discussion for one second. A uh, Part of the 49ers draft is defined by the things that did not happen, right? Mm-hmm. Ebo Samuel for right now is still a 49er. Jimmy yep. Garoppolo for right now is still a 49er. So those are a couple of the players that we thought there was at least a chance they could be traded at some point leading up to or during the draft. Neither of those has happened yet. I don't know what the resolution will be for either of those. The Debo situation is more complicated, in my opinion, because Debo has said he wants a trade. At this point, if you're San Francisco, the only way that you can justify a Debo Samuel trade is if you get a massive return. The problem is any sort of return you get right now is most likely via draft capital, and that means you have to wait a year. And this Mm -hmm. is a team that was within a quarter of making the Super Bowl. Do you want to take a one-year delayed return for the guy that was the best player on your team down the stretch last year? My guess, guess, is that if John Lynch is evaluating that potential transaction, he's going to say, no, I, like, I would have, if I, if I was going to do it, I would have had to have been blown away by an offer in this past draft. And I, I know we've discussed as an example, the Jets. Like, I got the number 10 overall pick. It might be a starting point. Now, I know they said they were nowhere close to a Debo Samuel deal, but um, if they had found a partner, it would have had to have been something that was really rich in this year's draft. So I don't know where that thing ends up. And Jimmy I'll, I'll G, tell you, can I tell you they, where I think it ends up? I think back. it ends up with Debo Samuel being on the roster week one for the San Francisco 49ers. That is I think it seems like it's trending that way, right? That's is, where I think yeah. it ends up. They're going to have to figure out a way to resolute this, and I'm not sure I use that term exactly, but they're going to have to find a way to resolute this uh, because you don't want a disgruntled, unhappy Debo Samuel on the roster week one. But uh, my feeling is he will be on the roster week one and that they are going to figure this out because they do not want to trade Debo Samuel, clearly, because they would have done it. And at this point, like you said, it would have to be such a massive package. And I think the other part of this is that that massive package never came. And I, I... no disrespect to Debo, who I think is a tremendous talent and has such a unique skill set and was integral to them being a quarter away from going to the Super Bowl. But he's not as proven as a Tyreek Hill, as a Devontae Adams, even as an A.J. Brown. And I think that's why that package that they would have needed to get wasn't there. So I think they're going to have to figure it out. Yeah, it's tricky. It's it's tricky, you know, no matter whether the player requests a trade, whether the team initiates the potential trade, like anytime you've got a star player in the NFL – it's hard to get a trade done because you don't see that many of them. Like this Mm -hmm. is not like the NBA. This is not like the NHL, the MLB, where trades are far more frequent. And the trade deadline is usually like a blockbuster event. We have a couple in the NFL, but not many. And then with Jimmy G, again, I I don't want to cop out here, but um, I I don't, I personally 
do not see a scenario in which a team right now offers San Francisco a trade for Jimmy Garoppolo unless an injury takes place between now and the start of the season. Because mm-hmm. just you, you could go through every single team in the NFL, and some of them are easy conversations, right? You know, obviously the Rams or the Bucks or the Bills or the Chiefs, teams that have great quarterbacks aren't bothering with Jimmy G. Then you go to teams that like are a little bit more on the fence. Seattle, well, you're not trading within division, I wouldn't think. Second of all, why would Seattle do that if they just feel like they have made enough investments in Geno Smith and Drew Locke? Carolina is probably going to say to itself, Jimmy G is probably the best quarterback on our roster if we trade for him. But do we want to have a quarterback room that's going to account for like 45 or $48 million of cash for this mm-hmm. year to quarterbacks for Jimmy Garoppolo, Sam Darnold, and Matt Corral? Like if you're going to pay huge money, that kind of cash for a given year of quarterback play, you want a quarterback who is unquestionably the kind of guy that can lead you to the playoffs, a division title. And I'm not sure that Jimmy G, as successful as he has been with the 49ers, would immediately make Carolina a playoff team in the NFC. So I think San Francisco is probably going to either have to wait it out and expect that or hope that's, I mean, hope, but, you know, um, be prepared for the possibility that a team encounters a quarterback situation that changes their dynamic. Or I would think door two is to just hold on to Jimmy G because I'd be surprised, but maybe not stunned. I guess the NFL should should teach us never be stunned. Like, <laughs> Him being released seems unlikely to me. At the same time, if Trey is the guy going into this year, and every indication seems to be that he is right now, $25 million is a massive price tag for a backup quarterback. Well, and I think if they are going to hold on to him, I would not be surprised if that gets restructured, uh, if a change get, gets made to that contract. But my kind of um, argument is a strong term because I definitely don't want to like argue with you. But I think my counterpoint to that is, It just feels like, and granted, because I'm saying this and because we've talked about it like so much, there's a high likelihood that Jimmy G ends up on this roster as a backup quarterback and they restructure that contract and they find a way to make it work. I just think for everybody involved, if Trey is the guy, it is not great for the team to have another year of Jimmy and Trey because what will inevitably happen, and this is no disrespect to Nate Sudfield, who the 49ers are very excited about, who they paid this offseason, who they obviously believe can be the backup quarterback in the NFL. But let's pretend Nate Sudfeld's the backup. Trey goes in there. He has a bad game. He throws three interceptions. Most likely 49ers fans after one game, though 49ers Twitter is a very special place, but most likely 49ers fans and everybody in national media and everybody isn't saying, all right, they got to bench Trey for Nate Sudfeld. They got to do it. But that happens and Jimmy Garoppolo's the backup. Then this becomes a conversation. And I understand that, the coaches, you know, Kyle Shanahan's not all over social media, but a pressure begins. And it's not that they're going to make a change, but it's not great for the team. And then every press conference is asking the players, do you still believe in Trey? Do you think it should be Jimmy? It just creates, I think, a distraction and a problem for the team and in the locker room. And so I would just feel like if Trey's really their guy and Jimmy's going to be the backup, I wonder if they do release him. It just feels bad for everyone involved. Uh, but that could be a very naive or simple way to look at it. It just feels from a chemistry perspective. They could do it last year, and everyone did it well. I will say that. Everyone really did an incredible job, including Jimmy, including Trey, including everybody. But can you go another year of that? And is it even fair? Is it fair to Trey and the team? If you want to develop Trey, if you want him to be a starting NFL quarterback, do you want to put him in that position? 
where yeah, no, is I, year one of a starter. You know, so those, I just think that's something, another wrinkle to think about. No, that's totally fair. I mean, seriously, it's, it's, I, I thought that maybe like speaking to somebody who covers the team on a daily basis would scoff at the idea that Jimmy G could be released, but it's the way that you just walk through it, I think is actually very practical because, um, you know, it's, I, I think we probably on the outside tend to not put enough weight into like the dynamics within a locker room or with mm-hmm. a position group room. And it's just a massively uncomfortable situation. If Trey Lance wins the job going into this year and Jimmy G is breathing down his neck because you said it, he's one tough Sunday away from fans clamoring for Jimmy G. Conversely, if Jimmy G wins the job, well, then you have an organization that is dealing with the repercussions and the fan base saying, what the heck did we trade three first round picks to move up nine slots for? Do we have Jordan Love 2.0 mm-hmm. on our hands here? Like, did we make the wrong decision? Should it have been Mac Jones? Should it have been somebody else? Should they have just sat at pick 12 and taken a different position last year? And it opens up a can of worms that I think is uncomfortable as well. So I, I'm going to sort of amend my assessment that Jimmy G being released is extremely unlikely and say like, it may be unlikely, but I think it's at least possible now that you spell it out that way. So um, in the same way that people have argued, like, you know, the Browns could just keep Baker Mayfield around and in and, and case Deshaun Watson is suspended. It's clear right now that Baker Mayfield's never going to play for the Browns again. Mm-hmm. Just use some logic here. Be, not just a, uh, you know, sort of an analyst, but like just be a human, right? Like mm-hmm. he has no interest in being there. Um, <clears throat> they clearly don't have any value for him if Deshaun Watson is healthy and, and available. <clears throat> but if he is suspended, like that ship has sailed. It's Jacoby Brissett. That's how it's going to go. Mm-hmm. That is very true. God, Jacoby Brissett, that seems to be his wheelhouse. And talk about a full circle conversation. Tom Brady gets suspended for that re- Ridiculous deflate gate situation. I have <laughs> I put zero stock in that. But anyways, that's a whole other issue. I went to Michigan. I'm, you know, I'm a Brady fan. But uh Tom Brady gets suspended. Jimmy G takes over. He gets hurt and Jacoby Brissett plays. So we just full circled this quarterback conversation yeah. from the 49ers to the Browns. And um I'm really impressed that we did that. So All things we, lead back to Tom Brady somehow. And Jacoby Brissett, apparently. And Jacoby Brissett, <laughs> yeah, Jacoby totally. <laughs> um, all right. So let's talk draft. Let's let's look at these draft picks. Um you mentioned Drake Jackson earlier. I actually I think this is a guy that may very well end up being a pretty fantastic pick for San Francisco. He will come in this year. He will play. I think the hope, of course, is that he eventually ends up uh, on the opposite side of Nick Bosa and that they are just a, two stalwarts in that defensive line. What do you think of the pick and the player, and uh, how did you see all that playing out? Yeah, I like the value a lot for Drake Jackson. Let me be very clear, by the way. And I think uh, Kyle Shanahan, I thought, spelled this out pretty eloquently during his Friday night press conference that like, and he was referencing Cole Strange, the 29th pick to the Patriots in this mm-hmm. regard. But like, you know, you, we, we can't spend too much time agonizing over where like consensus was pre-draft in the media because like, who's to say that it's the same as the league or vice versa, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, Kobe Dean was a first-round pick in every mock draft, and he goes, what, 73rd overall? Malik Willis was mocked as number two overall. But to the Lions in some mock drafts, he goes 86th. So, like, whether it's because the NFL scouts have more information or just a different set of eyes on things, like, it's not always going to be that uh, how we view a player on the outside is the same how a league does. That being said, I think Drake Jackson has a chance to be a starter right away, which is why I think it's a good value late in the second round. 
when you play opposite of Nick Bosa, it's almost like a different position mm-hmm. than a number two defensive end or outside linebacker or a pass rusher or edge player, whatever you want to call it, than other schemes, right? It's 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 almost like you've got half of a like one less blocker or half of a less blocker per play than you would if you were playing opposite a more mortal human being as the other defensive end. So I think Jake Jackson has a chance, um, if not this year, like within a couple of years to be a real player uh, for the 49ers. I felt like it was a need as well. Um, they mm-hmm. do have some useful pieces amongst the pass rushers. Gary Hyder is back as an example, but you know, as we saw last year and as we've seen over the past couple of years, actually Kerry two years ago and then Arden Key last year, like if you have some natural get off, like you're going to be able to find some production in this scheme but Drake Jackson gives them a player that cannot just be a one-year guy who moves on to greener grass, and I mean that contractually, uh, <laughs> as was the case with both Kerry Hyder and Arden Key with siding in Seattle and then Jacksonville, respectively, that like he can be a guy that you can you can turn a seven-and-a-half sack season into this year uh, into like a ten-and-a-half sack season in future years as opposed to a seven-and-a-half sack season into a contract in free agency with somebody else. So we're going to come back uh, to Ty Davis Price. He was maybe the most controversial pick, uh, at least from a 49er fan perspective of the yeah. draft. I actually don't necessarily, I can understand why they did it. So we'll come, but we'll come back to him in a minute. A couple other players that I want to kind of dive into is you know, Danny Gray in, in this offense provides some speed and something different that they don't necessarily have or didn't necessarily have right now uh, out of SMU. What do you see from him and how do you think he fits in here? Yeah, you, the word, I think you're going to keep hearing it, so get used to it for Niners fans for the next, what, four months till the games begin. Is he's got tons of speed, like mm-hmm. super-duper fast. And I'm trying to think of, like, the, the the last 49ers receiver that was, like, comparably fast that was playing a ton. Like, Travis Benjamin's got plenty of speed as well, uh, but, you know, I was sort of a guy that was either hurt or doing mm-hmm. more, more damage on sort of the return group as opposed to, uh, playing consistently on offense, but Gray was, I think, a four-three, two, four-three-three at the mm-hmm. combine. So one of the fastest receivers uh, right away. I think on the, I mean, probably the fastest receiver on the roster right away from San Francisco had good production at SMU. It's kind of been a fun offense to watch in recent years. So whether he's helping on the return game at all, or whether he's helping just to sort of change the dimensions of the field a little bit, because if you have a space spacer like Danny Gray. And you've got guys like Debo Samuel, as we all know, like the 49ers, since Kyle Shanahan became the head coach, have been the best by far in the NFL in terms of yards after catch amongst mm-hmm. wide receivers. And a lot of that's done because you have guys catching the ball at or near the line of scrimmage or in the intermediate passing game where the opportunities take a slant that's caught two yards down the field, turns into an eight or 12 yard gain. So I think that the dimensions change a little bit with Danny Gray helps, helps open things up in the middle of the field for George Kittle when he's using the passing game. And then certainly Debo, Brandon Ayuk, a guy who I will forever remain on Ayuk Island and hope that uh, <laughs> he becomes the player he was down the last six or seven weeks of his rookie year. Um, so I'm excited about Danny Gray. I think speed, we're seeing it more and more uh, in the NFL. Like you just need to have one because you've got a strong arm quarterback that it's it's not, I don't know if it's taking like half the field, but like the value of Trey's strength as a thrower decreases if you don't have a player that can actually stress you down the field. Well, and you bring up a good point. First of all, I would like, I'm with you over there on Ayuk Island. Big, I I, I feel like he has that potential. And I also really thought it spoke well of Ayuk, the player, and especially the person that he started the season with some adversity. It was discussed a lot and he got through it. And that's not necessarily easy to do. And there are definitely players that would gone a different direction 
and instead of getting through it and figuring it out, could have, you know, gone into a little bit of a hole or throw a temper tantrum or whatever. Um, and he didn't. So uh, I give him a lot of credit on that. So I'm with you there on IU Island. You bring up Trey's arm and Danny Gray and it, and you bring up the Yak and they have this thing, the Yak brothers, you know, Debo, Kittle and IU. Um, and maybe Danny Gray becomes one of the Yak brothers, but will be interesting to see with a different kind of quarterback. And this is no disrespect to Jimmy G because Anybody who listens to this knows that I have the utmost respect for Jimmy Garoppolo and his ability as a quarterback, but with a different kind of quarterback, interesting to see, do they still lead the lead in yak? Do they not need to lead the yak lead, lead the, let's say that five times fast, lead the league in yak uh, anymore. It'll be kind of fun to see what is different with a different quarterback with a different arm. Totally. Yeah. And I think, you know, we, we, we've all been fixating on how the running game will be different with a quarterback that can run like Trey. And we haven't talked as much about how the passing game will be different with a quarterback like Trey, who I'm eager to see this year. I don't have any real sense of where he's at and sort of his development right now, but I'm eager to see what it looks like come training camp. I mean, tantalizing is probably the easiest word to describe Trey based off how he looked during his college days at North Dakota State. And I think, you know, again, think uh, early May statement, he'll be the guy (laughs) once September rolls around. And if so, this 49ers offense will look quite a bit different. So let's actually go back to Ty Davis Price. I know I said I was going to wait on that, but since we're in the you know offensive weapon discussion here, and it's kind of interesting with both of those picks with with uh, Price and Gray, there was an idea that perhaps it takes a little pressure off Debo Samuel, it takes a little bit of the workload off Debo Samuel as they're trying to repair this relationship. I know a lot of people felt he could have gone later. Does not surprise me they took a running back here. This 49ers team goes through running backs in a season. I mean, Kyle said it himself on on Friday night. And between injuries and and usage, they go through quite a bit of running backs. He's a very big back. He's a physical back. He can block, which is very important in this offense. What did you think of the pick? Do you think it's something they should have waited on? Or knowing Kyle Shanahan and his offense as you do, was it really not all that surprising? Yeah, so a couple of things here is that like, Today's needs may not be tomorrow's needs. Tomorrow's mm-hmm. needs may not necessarily align with what you're doing in the draft. Like, who who knows what the running back room looks like a year from right now? But now you have Ty Davis Price under contract through what 2025, 2025. and um, you know it all sounds great when you think about the crowded 49ers running back room. Until you remember, there was a game last year where it was like Trenton Cannon and Michael Hasty as a top two backs, right? Uh-huh. And the NFL, like the attrition, is just so significant at running back and. I just sort of have a fundamental belief. Like it's one thing if it's a top like 35, 40, 45 pick at running back. Beyond that, there's just no such thing as having too many of them, especially mm-hmm. if you play in what might be the league's most creative running offense in the NFL. I mean, it's right up there if it's not number one. So um, we'll see. I don't know. Like, I don't know if it is or if it isn't an indictment on Trey Sermon who I think a lot of people expected big things from last year as a third-round pick out of, Ohio, I think, 88th overall. Mm-hmm. And there wasn't a lot. Uh, injuries contributed to that, sort of the ascension of Eliza Mitchell and sort of the, sort of the you know, early in the year. I mean, it was one week of Raheem Mostert before he got hurt. Like, mm-hmm. a variety of factors contributed to it. But, um, like, I don't I don't think there's, like, some major issue with using a third-round pick on the guy that I, I'm I'm supposing was probably the best player on the board, at least in their rankings at that point. And I love Elijah, I love Elijah Mitchell as well. He was incredible, one of the best values in the draft last year. Um, but he got hurt as well, right? So yeah. uh, they, they learned 
not that they didn't know this, but they were reminded of the lesson of the importance of depth at running back. I did not have an issue with the pick really at all. Like, and it didn't surprise. I don't want to oversimplify things, but like really past like the first every, every year, there's a cutoff point. I think this year it was somewhere around like eight or nine in the draft. Everything beyond like the ninth or 10th pick, nothing surprises me. Like, yeah, it just doesn't. Like in, in some years, it might be 12 or 14. I think last year, actually, I think it was right around like pick 16. Like actually, no, 15, because that was where Mac Jones went. That was sort of the end of like the guys that were either quarterbacks or blue chip players. Micah Parsons, Jamar Chase, Devontae uh, Smith, Jalen Waddle, those type of players, right? This year, a little bit, it was a little bit shallower of a pool. Beyond that, anything could happen. It wouldn't surprise me. It just wouldn't. And so a third round pick on a running back, like if Ty Davis Price rushes for 500 yards this year, like that automatically to me feels like a useful uh, value of the pick, especially in that offense. I could not agree with you more. I'm also usually of the opinion, no disrespect to my own knowledge and abilities that Kyle Shanahan, John Lynch know more than me. So if they picked him, it was probably for a good reason. I could be wrong about that, but I'm going to go ahead and say it's probably true. Yeah, you know, I have a hard time with uh, with sort of figuring out how to sort of assess draft classes. And listen, like it's a big part of our job. Some of the people that I love the most at ESPN, like Mel Kuyper Jr. has to do draft grades. And like, I'm, I am just so grateful that I don't have to have that assignment because like there's so much I just don't know. Like we're all sitting there on the outside. Again, to use this player as an example, like, what is going on with the Kobe Dean, right? Well, it's mm-hmm. clear, but there's something we don't know. So I just, I'm not saying every organization is going to be right. And we have seen so many draft blunders over the years from literally every general manager and every franchise. But I try to give the benefit of the doubt, especially, you know, the 49ers, I would say, have a pretty darn good track record. Uh, they, I have a ton of respect for this front office that like, they're not burning a third round pick on fire just to get a kick out of Twitter, right? Like right. they feel like running backs a position of need. They felt like Ty was an important player at that spot and that if something happens to Elijah or something happens to Trey or whoever it is, that you get a, you know, you you get some value there. I also would have like a little bit of respect for them if they did burn a third round pick on a running back just to get a kick out of Twitter. There's like a little bit of respect I would have there. Just awesome. That would be a (laughs) boss move. I feel like, you know, good for you. Good for you. Did you potentially waste a pick? Maybe. But you know what? You gave everybody a good kick and I'm into it. So there's that. Uh, I know we're running a little bit out of time. So before I let you go, there are a couple other things I want to talk about. Uh, the cornerback room, uh, the 49ers signed Jason Verrett to a one-year deal, which was really happy to see. I think it's actually a great a great thing for, for both sides. Uh, they now have a lot of depth in that quarterback room, a corner back room, excuse me. It was Samuel Womack, who they drafted, Tariq Castro-Fields. They did sign also an undrafted free agent. All of a sudden, there's depth in a room that was so thin for so long. But what did you think of these picks? Womack is interesting to me. I think there's actually some real potential there. And I think there's going to be a lot of competition, especially the nickel position this season. Yeah, it feels like that's the case, right? And I feel like uh, San Francisco has done a really, really good job over the past few years. Like, Ever since the first two years of Sherm, where he was playing, I think voted and played at an all-pro level, like mm-hmm. it's not like they've had a number one corner that has been like dominant top five in the league at his position consistently. They have churned through guys. They've gotten the most out of guys. They've seen guys convert from safety to deep to cornerback or cornerback to safety. You name it. Um, it's clearly been a position where they've thrown a bunch of darts this offseason to various ward. They're that was the biggest free agent pickup, right? Three years, 45, 40.5 mm-hmm. million bucks. So they feel like, I'm assuming they feel like, hey, that's our clear number one. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But like these these defensive backs and like day three and beyond, like I've learned in San Francisco that system and we're seeing it obviously we're seeing Robert Sala bring it to New York as well like they got some some reasonable production out of Brandon Eichels their sixth round pick a year ago out of Kentucky like I wouldn't be surprised like there's some competitiveness here there's some friskiness from these two players like wouldn't stun me if you know they're contributing maybe not necessarily playing a ton but like we saw day three impact the 49ers draft last year too right some of their day three rookies not just Elijah right there were a couple rookies from that day three that ended up making a major mark on them so I'm not discounting the possibility that Womack or Castro Fields has a rule not I can't guarantee a starter or anything but right now they still need some cornerback depth and they've at least attacked it through that that method and on and then last but not least the offensive line not a ton done on the interior of the offensive line it sounds like they're going to have guards maybe you know move a little bit more inside we don't have a definitive answer on Alex Mack at center but John Lynch said on Friday night that they had all the information they needed going to the draft which was interesting because in his Monday press conference last week it felt like if you read between the lines Alex Mack was retiring and then by Friday night it felt like okay maybe he's not retiring that is an area that to me is the only area that still has so many question marks especially with a young quarterback coming in there you obviously want him to be short up at center. Uh, how do you see this playing out? And should we probably expect Alex Mack back, considering what we know? I was going to say, like, it almost feels like what they're telling us. Oh, sorry about that. My computer's Wait. on my phone. Here we go. Pick it back up. Uh, three, two, one. It almost feels like what the 49ers are telling us is that Alex Mack will be back. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I could be wrong. I mean, it's hard for me to guess the intentions of a guy who's, what, 35, 36 years old. Mm-hmm. Um but it feels like for all the consternation that may be felt right now, it would like all evaporate if Mac returns on a one-year deal, which yeah. um, I don't know where they're at on that. I know that the 49ers have been, not coy, but they haven't been definitive one way or the other. So I would say it seems like there's at least a chance and I, I don't know about ageless, but he's darn close to it, right? Like yeah. amazing that he continues to play such a high level for a guy that's been around the league. He's played for what this is. That was his third team in San Francisco. Like so impressed by the dependability of Alex Mack. And um, I know Kyle Shanahan. I think I think I would describe it as like hopeful is how I would assess their yes, that's fair. Uh, their statements on Alex Mack. And maybe maybe that makes me think that there is a a chance that they are actually going to have him back this upcoming year. I would assume that if they really did feel like he was retiring, if it felt like it felt like month, last Monday, they would have drafted a center. Sure. That sure. the Drake fair. Jackson pick to me says, okay, Alex Mack is coming back. That's my yeah. that's my feeling on that. I'm with you as well. All right, Field, thank you so much for joining me. This was a lot of fun. Tracy, it was a blast. And we I think we covered just a lot of ground with a lot of bases as well. Like I've now, if Jimmy G is not cut then I I sort of win. But if he is cut, I sort of backtracked enough that I also win. So that's yeah. usually what I aim to do is cover my bases enough that like I can claim victory no matter what happens. Yeah, I think you did a really good job with that. I commend you. You did. I appreciate that. Yeah, it was by design. Yep, good, good work. And if you guys like what you heard, and I know that you did, please make sure to leave us a five-star review as Field mentioned at the beginning of the podcast. We are brought to you today by Bet Online, and I will talk to everybody later this week. Bye, all.
thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.